0: I'm Aryeh Cohen, and this is Daf Shui. Weekly Duff. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Duff or so. It's day 19, and we're all hovering in some sort of cloud fog of shock and rage and grief. It's not like every minute of every day I'm just raging and grieving, but I am doing that often enough, and my grief is for those who died on October 7th in an awful, awful terrorist attack, barbaric attack. And I'm grieving for all those who are dying and continue to die in Gaza, subjected to an air war, which doesn't look like it's gonna end anytime soon until it starts with a ground war. I'm no military strategist come more and more over the years especially in recent times to the realization that I don't know that much about that much I know a little Talmud I don't know if I know this but I believe this very deeply the only way to stop the violence is by stopping the violence the only way to stop war is by stopping war what if instead of saying we need to retaliate we said we refuse to retaliate what if everybody said that Yep, it's naive, but it doesn't look like all the realistic, hard-headed military folks have gotten us to any place safer. Maybe we do something surprising one of these days. Anyway, now I pray for peace. I pray for the return of the hostages. I pray for those who are dead and dying and will die. I pray that if it is true that God's name is peace, that some of that peace rain down. Okay, it's been a while, but you have to go on. We're on the top of 113a in the layout that was constructed by the widow and brothers Ram on top of a basic layout that was put together in the 16th century. But here we go. Top of 113a, top line, Tanya Idach. There is another Brita. V'loti sov nachla mi And an estate of the Israelites shall not turn round from tribe to tribe. This is talking about the transference through the husband. Are you saying that this is with the transference of the husband? Or maybe, actually, it's in the transference through the son. When it says, And an estate shall not turn round from a tribe to another tribe. So that's talking about the transference through the son. So what do I gain from, what do I learn from, saying from the verse, and in a state of the Israelites shall not turn around from tribe to tribe? That that is talking about the transference through the husband. Tordof starts off with the second of two bright out, both of which are figuring out why there are two verses which seem to say the same thing. One verse is Numbers 36, 7. And an estate of the Israelites shall not turn round from tribe to tribe, but the Israelites shall cling each man to the estate of the tribe of his father. And the other verse is two verses later. And an estate shall not turn round from a tribe to another tribe, but each man shall cling to his estate in the tribes of the Israelites. The Rashbam says that there is no difference in halakha between the two opinions, in the b'rita or the two b'rita. It's just a case of mashma'ut darshin, that is, learning the same law from different sources. While well, the first Braita on 112b attributes the prohibition of the son to 37.7, and an estate of the Israelites shall not turn round from tribe to tribe. The second Braita, which starts off our duff, attributes that to 37.9, two verses later, and an estate shall not turn round from a tribe to another tribe. The first Braita attributes this latter verse, and an estate shall not turn round from a tribe to another tribe, to the transfer of the husband since, as we shall see further on, it says acher, other, as in another tribe. And the son is not other. Other here is defined as not blood relative. I'll just leave that here. Therefore, the former verse is now not needed to teach about the husband and so must be referring to the son, since there are no redundant verses in Torah. The real difference between the two breitah is which drasha the tana pushes off from. According to the first Brita, the tana pushes off from 37 7, and an estate of the Israelites shall not turn round from tribe to tribe, claiming that that must refer to the son, since the latter verse has the word acher, other, which cannot refer to the son. Therefore, the latter verse, and an estate shall not turn round from a tribe to an other tribe, must refer to the father. However, as the stam concludes, Everyone agrees that the phrase from a tribe to another tribe refers to the transferring by the father. The Stam then asks, mashma, What is the implication of this? The term my mashma usually means something along the lines of what is the biblical source for this statement? Here, however, at least according to the Rashbam, it is a question directed at the first of the two Braito just quoted. The second Braita understands that the earlier verse, Numbers 37, seven, is referring to the transfer of the estate through inheritance by the son, since the son is considered a closer relative by being a blood relative than the husband. Once this is decided, then the latter verse, 37.9, must be referring to the husband, since it is redundant if that is not the case. However, according to the first Braita, which starts with the second verse referring to the husband, my mashma, how does he know that? The next word siman does not appear in most of the manuscripts, and where it does appear, it is followed by an acronym, and seems to be one of the mnemonic devices that we spoke about on an earlier episode. Amar Raba Barav Shela Amar Ish. So the first answer is from Raba Barav Shela, who says that the first brighton knew that verse nine referred to the husband because it says Ish, man, which can be translated also as husband, as in Ruth, as in the book of Ruth, Ish Naami. Nomi's husband, referring in the book of Ruth to Elimelech. Therefore, if verse 9 is referring to the husband, verse 7 must be referring to the son. The Stam raises the obvious challenge, Both verses have the word ish, so this cannot prove anything. Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak suggests that it is because the verse says, Yidbiku, cling. Which is also used in the sense of a man clinging to his wife in Genesis three vidavak biishto. Therefore, it must refer to the husband. The stam again raises the obvious challenge Travayo yidbaku Both verses have the verb yidbaku. They shall cling. Ella amarava amar kra yidbaku matot. Rava saves Rav Nachman by by pointing out that the second verse says yidbaku matot. The tribes will cling, which can only be accomplished by husband and wife. Rav Amar. Amakra <speaking in> mi mate,, <Hebrew> U loveu. Ravashu offers a different solution. The second verse says "mi mate, acher from a tribe to another tribe, with a stress on another, and a son is not considered acher, Other. The Tosot here raised the possibility that the Amoraim the sage of the Talmud, actually did not know the verses, and this is not just a hermeneutic move. They point to a Gemara in Bavakama on the bottom of 94b and the top of 95a, where Rabbi Chanina ben Agil asks Rabbi Chia bar Abba, Why in the first account of the Decalogue in Exodus does it not say the word tov, that is the word good, while in the second Decalogue in Deuteronomy it does. Rabbi Chia bar Abba answers, Before you ask me why it says Tov, ask me if it says Tov or not, for I do not know the answer to that. And he sends him off to another rabbi who knows the verses. Well, for various reasons, the Tosavot do not accept that in our suya they don't know the verses. It is apparently not something outside the realm of possibility that the Amoraim that. Communic sages themselves did not know the verses of the Torah. The Gemara moves on to another though related topic. Amara bi bahu Amara bi Yochanan Amara bi Anai Amara bi. Ummatu ba mishmei dravishuben karcha minayin la ba sheinonotel barui kibimuchsak. The tradition is contested but according to both traditions it is attributed to a Tana. Either the fifth-generation Tana, that is, from the second half of the second century to the beginning of the third century, the supposed author or editor of the Mishnah, Rebbe, or Rebbe Yehuda, the patriarch, or the fourth-generation Tana, who probably lived in the second century, Rebbe Yeshua ben Korcha. Whoever it is asks the question, How does one know that a husband does not inherit property that he might have been deserving of? That is, according to Rashbam, if a person's wife dies, then her father dies, and she has no siblings. If the father had died first then the daughter or wife would have inherited the property and it would have been it would have ultimately gone to the husband instead it is the wife's father's brothers who will inherit it what is the legal basis for this that is why do we ignore a husband's but what if claims we derive it from the verse we have seen a bit already Shne amar Uskove et Yair behilosh shav asrim arim ba'eretz Gilad. It says in 1 Chronicles 122 and Segov begot Yair he had 23 cities in the land of Gilead. Minayen leYair shlo hayalo l'uskove. Elam la'megeh na sas'kove ishah u'meta ba'chaye Marisha u'meta Marisha be'shay Yair. This raises a question for Rabbi or for Rabbi Shimon Karha. How could it be that Yair had land that had not belonged to Skove? That is, why is this land credited to Yair and not Segov? The reason is that apparently Segov married a woman, and she died, while her ancestors, who would bequeath to her, were still alive. Then the ancestors died, and Yair inherited that land, Yair and not Segov, i.e., we ignore a husband's but-what-if claims. It is interesting to note that many of the early Jewish commentaries on 1 Chronicles 2.22 point out that the verse might be referring to a different Yair who was from the tribe of Menasheh. And his story was already told in Numbers 32, 40 to 41. And the sons of Machir, son of Menasheh, went to the Gilead and captured it and dispossessed the Amorite who was in it. And Moses gave the Gilead to Machir, son of Menasheh, and he settled in it. And Yair, son of Menasheh, went and captured their hamlets and called them Yair's hamlets. That is Givat Yair. It is unlikely that the two Yair's own land in Gilead, but stranger things have happened. The Gemara now goes back to Elazar and runs through the story with him. And it says in Joshua, and Eleazar, son of Aaron, died, and they buried him, and so on. Noting that Eleazar was buried on land called the Mount of Pinchas, Givat Pinchas. How could Pinchas have had land that had not belonged to Eleazar's father? This teaches that Eleazar married a woman, and she died while her ancestors who would bequeath to her were still alive. Then the ancestors died. And Pinchas inherited that land. Pinchas and not Elazar. That is, we ignore our husbands, but what if claims again? Umaiva Omer. So the Stam asks again, why do we need both the Pinchas proof text and the Yair proof text? ya'ir nasiv itita umeta tamud l'omar been our own mate. The Stam answers that even if you want to say the Ya'ir had married a woman who died and then she came into an inheritance... The Elazar verse shows that the husband does not get the inheritance that the dead wife would have gotten. Rashbam comments that the Gemara derives this from the end of the verse in Joshua twenty-four. Elazar ben Aaron met. That's our verse. And Eleazar, son of Aaron died, and they buried him in the mountain of his son Pinchas, which was given to him that is Pinchas in Har Ephraim. The verse says it was given to him because Eleazar and Pinchas went to court to decide who got the inheritance from Eleazar's wife, Pinchas's mother, after the wife mother had died. Pinchas won the case and the land was given to him. Rabbeinu Hananel, an early 11th century North African commentator, comments that this is derived from the seemingly extra word beno, his son, which might seem unnecessary. That extra word teaches that it is the son who inherits through the dead mother, that is, the inheritance that would have come to the mother had she been alive, and then to the father after she died. But since she died prior to the death of her ancestor, the inheritance comes straight through to the son, bino to Pinchas. This is what the final line of the sugya means. V'chitema d'naflalei b'sedeh haramim emakra nachla lo if you want to say that Pinchas got the land from a Cherim, that is, from a person who dedicated it to the temple, and it was Pinchas' turn to get the dedicated lands, so it does not prove anything about whether or not a husband would inherit a what-if inheritance. Therefore, the verse says, Bino, his son, teaching that an inheritance which might have appropriately been the husband's, if the wife had been alive when the property owner died, does not go to the husband, but rather to Bino, his son. This week's podcast is brought to you by a special edition of This American Life, the show with the guarantee that what you are doing is meaningless and probably idiotic. This week, stories about breathing. We have three acts. Act one, oxygen. Are you sure you need that second hydrogen? Maybe my very Jewish uncle Shimmy could trade it in for a new pair of Nikes. Act Two. Growing up, Haley was always told that she had to breathe out and in. Now she's broke and never had a dance career she longed for. She confronts her mother and makes her sound stupid. Act Three. Originally on The Moth, a story about something really, really terrible and tragic that happened. But don't worry. There's a life lesson. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Now we go on to the next phrase in the Mishnah. The next phrase in the Mishnah refers to nephews, but specifically the sons of sisters who inherit but do not bequeath. The Stam cites an interpretation of the Mishnah, which sounds vaguely Midrashic, but obviously isn't a Midrash, since it is commenting on a phrase from a Mishnah and not a verse from Torah. The comment is, sons of sisters and not daughters of sisters, that is, specifically nephews and not nieces. L'may hilchata, amarav sheshit l'kadem. The stam asks, what is the legal implication of this statement? Or rather, what is the point of the miyut, the exclusive pseudo-Midrash, which excludes daughters, since actually we know that daughters do inherit their mothers, and their mothers inherit their brothers. Ipso facto, women will inherit their uncles. Rav Sheshit answers to derive the fact that sons always precede daughters. Tzni Rav Shmuel barav Yitzchak kamei drevhuna, vayirash. Makishirusha Yerusha Shnia L'Yerusha Rishona Ma'Yerusha Rishona Ben Kodem Labat Af Yerusha Ben Kodem Labat Reshmael Barav Presented a Tanenic text to Ravuna. The verse, number 2411, says And he will inherit We juxtapose the initial inheritance scene, that is, when a son inherits a father, to secondary and tertiary inheritance scenes, that is, when a brother's children inherit, and conclude that in that case, too, the sons precede the daughters. According to the commentators, the Midrash here is based on the Vav prefix in the word yarash, that is, the and in, and he will inherit. This conjunctive vav brings along all the previous clauses about who is eligible to inherit and places them with the legal principle that the son always precedes the daughter. T'ni rabba bar chanina kamei durav nachman b'nav. Bayom ata mapil nachalot v'i ata mapil nachalot Rabbi Barchanina presented a Tanitic text to Rav Nachman, quoting Deuteronomy twenty one sixteen. It shall be on the day he grants estate to his sons of what he has. On the day, that is daytime, you divide estates, and you do not divide estates at night. Amar le'abaye. Man Abaya said to Rabbi Barchanina, if that is so, then one who dies during the day bequeaths to his children. But one who dies at night does not. Dilma din nachlot, comrade. The Stam suggests that perhaps that bright is referring not to the act of bequeathing, or the moment of granting the estate, but rather that judicial decision regarding estates can only be arrived at during the day. This also, as Rashban points out, follows general rabbinic procedure in which court cases are argued during the day, or at least the argument must begin during the day, though the decision can be arrived at at night. Did Tanya? as it is taught in a breitah. Deuteronomy 17.11 says, concerning the order of inheritance, and this shall be a statute of law for the Israelites. This whole portion of the Torah ended up referring to legal proceedings. That is, many of the laws about legal proceedings are derived from these verses, showing that these verses are not about the of granting an estate, but the judicial proceeding around that grant. This concurs with what Rabbi Yehuda said. As Rabbi Yehuda said, three people who went to visit a sick person at the same time and the person as he is dying states his desire to bequeath this or that thing. The three who are visiting him can decide whether they want to be witnesses, in which case they write down what they heard and then bring it to a court to follow through, since there is a law that aid a witness to an event cannot judge that event. Or they may decide to act as a court of three and enact an the transfer which the dying man had announced. If there were only two visitors, they can only write the testimony and not act as a court which requires three people. Rav Chista says, This only refers to an event which occurs in the daytime. However, if they came to visit at night, even if there were three people, they may only write down their testimony, but not sit in judgment. What is the reason for this? Because they are witnesses. And a witness in a specific case cannot subsequently be a judge in that case. Amar um, Ein kamina. Rabbi Barchanina replied to Abayah, Yes, that is what I meant. Almost all the manuscripts of medieval commentaries have ein hachi ka'mina. Yes, that is what I meant. The printed edition and some manuscripts have ein hachi nami ka'mina, adding the nami after hachi, which is a common phrase in the Talmud, ein hachi nami, meaning even so. However, that does not scan here, and the extra word nami probably slipped in at some point as a scribal error based on the common usage of the phrase ein hachi nami. And with... Rabbi Barchanina's agreeing with Abaye that that is what he meant, we will finish this week's DAF. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to thank, as always, my wonderful producer, Eli Unger-Sargon. Please check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with Jeff Helmreich. As always, my thanks to my great Chavruta, Charlotte van Robert, and the comms team here at DAF Shui, Shachar, Cohen Hodas, You can follow me on X, which used to be Twitter, at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. And you can always send me comments and questions and queries and philosophical musings to the thewidowandbrothers at gmail.com. Be well, be safe. Let us pray for the peace of all.